Hello, welcome to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This week we're talking about Second Sons, Season 3, Episode 8, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by Michelle McLaren. Joining us this week from the Big Red Podcast is Alyssa Bame. So we'll take a break, listen to a little Molotov jukebox, which is features a certain actress, uh, Natalia Tana, who we know better as Osha. Um, this is their song, Give It a Go. So we'll be right back after this. Just a little thing Mama said to me Baby girl Don't spread yourself too thinly Tread carefully Men will take away from you More than they give Listen to me It's easy when you're young But when you're old you're lonely And I said no, no, no I wanna give it a go, go, go Hello and welcome to the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. Uh, we, I am Kate Kulzik, TV editor for Sound on Sight, and I'm joined by my co-host uh, Ricky D, our general editor. General editor. Hello, Kate. And this week joining us is Alyssa Bain from the Big Red Podcast. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. Thank you for having me. Well, we always start out the podcast by by mentioning again, in case there are any new listeners. I have read the books. Ricky has not read the books, but we will not have any spoilers on this podcast. Never fear. We will not be jerks about that. Uh, what is your relationship with the books, Alyssa? Um, I know they exist. I have I have seen them at the Costco when I have gone <laughs> to buy diapers, and um, I have not read them. So, so when you walk in, you look at the diapers and the books, and you know you want the books, but you need the I diapers. walk in. I don't buy physical media anymore, you guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm going fully minimal. You should try the same with diapers. If I could, I would. Cloth. Cloth. Like they used oh to do. Oh, my God. You clearly haven't had to deal with many cloth diapers. Come on. <laughs> those, those things are the worst. All right. This week we had Second Sons, which was the most focused episode, I would say, of the seasons. We ditched a lot of the characters. We really focused in on a few. In the past, that's really been uh, something that we've enjoyed, be it last season with Blackwater or even just a few weeks ago, the more structured The Climb. Uh, what did you guys think of this episode? Alyssa, let's start with you. Did that, did that structure to this episode of just really looking at three stories, did that pay off for you? Oh, my God. This was structure? This is... Uh, I need to. T I would like to take a red pen to Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, it, it's you know the thing that I find interesting is I um I'm a very very casual viewer of the show, so I kind of dip in and out. And um, one of the things I tend to do with the show, actually, I I've been doing it with a lot of HBO shows, is um, you know, I time delay uh, watching them, and then I sort of judiciously fast forward through the parts that I think are really dull. And uh, some of these shows clock in pretty quickly in those circumstances, which I think is kind of goes back to the issue I have with this um, adaptation, which is it doesn't really feel like they're adapting a lot. And I, I it's interesting that they're adapting something that's still uh, being written because there's clearly and there's a clear obligation, I think, that the creators um, of the show feel to 
obviously to the books um, and they can't make some of the decisions they might have made in an adaptation because they, they don't know, you know, who's going to be important later on or where things are going to end up. So I'm kind of curious to see how it'll all work out. And also I have a theory. I don't think, you know, um, George R.R. R. Martin will necessarily make it to the end of his own book series. I mean, he's an older man who's clearly, um, you know, ripe for a heart attack anytime. And I was, I'm sort of curious what HBO's policy is or what their secret plan is. They have, George R.R. R. Martin has sat down with uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and told them the end of the story and how, you know, what the climax is, how all the, the different people are involved with that, just in case. But is that a new development? <laughs> I mean, we're three seasons in, you know, like if that's something that's happened in like the past, say, year, Mm -hmm. that's surely not how things started, right? I believe, I mean, given what happened with um, the the Wheel of Time, where that was such an epic series that had to be finished... uh, by by a different writer when when he the original author uh, got very ill and eventually passed away i would be surprised if hbo was willing to commit to a series still ongoing if they didn't have some sense of you know if it was if everything was in one man's head i, I feel like they wouldn't go along with that but I, I don't know how much information we have no um they made a deal with him before they even started filming the series so before they started even season oh, one, well, then I'm really gonna, I really then have to fault these people because they're making some terrible decisions. Yeah, I know. Before they even started filming season one, he had to sit down and give them sort of like a scene by scene analysis or at least a good long look of where the show is headed in case he doesn't finish writing the books because, say, he dies. So, yeah. Now, will you say that they don't have not done a good job. What is frustrating to you? I mean, I think, I think the fact that, um, that you're complimenting an episode, um, for being like, you know, structured (laughs) is interesting. I mean, there are a lot of extraneous characters. They feel extraneous. You know, you spend a a scene with somebody, um, you spend what, maybe four or five minutes in a, in a year, in a, in a season with a character that feels it's just for for television. I just think it's a kind of an it it doesn't. I don't think it works as a TV structure. I think it's too many characters to keep track of, um, and and not enough of them are really interesting. And because there are so many people to to sort of check in with, there's a. I think there's a very real problem with momentum, and I think some of the emotional um, beats in the series don't necessarily land the way that you would expect them to. Because there's so, there are just far too many people to check in with, and it's hard to do anything deeper than to check in. Well, that's interesting. Well, then, because that's not something that is a new issue with this series. It's absolutely right there. Then, if that's so frustrating to you, why are you still invested or why are you still watching in season three? Well, like I said, I sort of dip in and out because, I mean, as somebody who sort of like thinks about and comments on, you know, TV regularly. Um, you know, I, I understand it's part of the culture and I'm really intrigued by why people are such big fans of it. Like I, I, I just, you know, like I get why some people really enjoy certain shows that might not be for me. Um, but you know, like I understand sort of like what's going on, but I, uh, I, I'm not totally clear on what the appeal is of the show and, 
And when I talk to people about it, I mean, it, it sort of comes back around to like, it just seems like um, people are hoping to see some dragons and maybe some stuff blow up. I don't necessarily know the characters or exactly what's going on and the and the the plot elements that are important from like episode to episode or season to season even you know they kind of lose lose the thread on them well i i think this is interesting because you're the first guest we've had that hasn't been a big fan of the series i mean last week ryan wasn't exactly the biggest fan of the series but he liked you know enough episodes to kind of recommend the show but the thing is we as bloggers and podcasters i don't think that you are for example hate watching the show just for example oh, like no yeah and like i'm not like i do a bates motel podcast and i'm not hate watching bates motel there's things that i do like about bates motel and i do find it entertaining but i think it's a silly show and i don't think it's a great show but i think we still have a reason and i think it's a necessity for bloggers and podcasters to be critical and to sort of watch on a weekly basis especially when it's something like game of thrones which is you know i mean every time you go on twitter or facebook or any movie blog or website whatnot you you know you're gonna see a post for game of thrones the night of the episode airs right and i i hate it when people always leave feedback and they're like well if you don't like the show why do you keep watching like that's the simple way to try to win an argument we could still keep watching a show and we could still find interest in it in other ways. Um, so I think that's interesting that you're not a big fan of the series, um, but I'm going to totally disagree with what you said. I I think I get what you're saying about the structure of the show, and I totally agree. It works better in book form than it does in TV form. There's way too many characters. I had a huge problem with last week's episode. It was basically bouncing around from one group of characters to the next group of characters to the next group of characters. It didn't seem like it had a focus. And it, I kind of felt like they just felt the need to check in with all of these characters. So, you know, people who haven't read the book will remember who they are. But, but this episode... I loved the way it was structured, and I think it was extremely focused, much more focused than last week's episode. And I love the way it digs deep in, into themes of faith, honor, love, duty, and it all revolves around the second sons. And this is once again directed by Breaking Bad veteran, one of the best directors of the Breaking Bad series, Michelle McLaren, who also directed last week's episode, which I didn't like. She came back again two episodes in a row. And I think she did a far better job this week. Unlike last week's episode, I didn't, from start to finish, there was not one dull moment. And um, I think the reason why I like it better is because it focused on fewer characters, much like episode six, which I think is the best episode of the season yet, and probably the best episode of the entire series, because in that episode, they kept focusing on Jon Snow and they kept returning back to Jon Snow. In this episode, there's technically three major stories. There is uh, the storyline of Danny, the storyline of Gendry, and the wedding ceremony, or the, the actual wedding with Tyrion, right? And of course, we get the bookends with Sam and Arya. But I think that's what they need to do, because by focusing on fewer characters within an episode, first of all, it, it works so much better. It helps us viewers who haven't read the book invest more so emotionally into these characters and it actually gives us a better understanding of who these people are because when you haven't when because when you haven't read the book 
it's kind of hard to catch up. And we we talked about this, Kate, way back in the first podcast. Now, just to give a little bit of backstory here. Sorry if I'm I'm taking a lot of time here, Kate, but we'll get to you <laughs> it's soon. All good. Okay? It's all good. Um, way back when season one started, I wanted to start a Game of Thrones podcast. And I begged Simon to do it. But we just couldn't do it at the time. We were going through a little changeover at the website. We left the radio station. So we, now we were actually podcasting instead of doing the radio show from a radio station, yada, yada, yada. So season two came along and I begged Kate and Simon to do a Game of Thrones podcast because it's one of my biggest regrets since I started the website. You guys started a podcast. I decided to sit out because I'm like, look, I didn't read the book. Get Mike Waldman in. It'll be better if you have him as a co-host, right? So you guys did season two. Then we get to season three. And Mike and Simon could no longer do the podcast, so I had no choice but to step in. And on the very first podcast, Kate, do you remember that I opened up the podcast and I apologized right away off the bat to all the listeners. And I said, look, I watched season two in a span of like two days when I was really sick with a fever. I watched season one like, what, two and a half years ago. I do not remember much about anything, especially who these characters are and how they are related. But I said within between episode one and episode two, I would catch up. And that's what I did. I went back and I rewatched episode uh, season one and season two. But the thing is I had to go back and invest more time and watch the series over and over again. So what I try to do on the podcast is I try to be the, the spokesperson, I, I guess, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but for the people that haven't read the book. And so I think Alyssa has a point. Like I think there's often way too often in the series um, it seems like they're writing each episode for people that have read the book. And I think that can be, it, well, it is a problem because when I talk about the show with so many different people, people have read the book and people that haven't read the, uh, have read the book, I always hear the same complaints from people that haven't read the book. And I think Alyssa's echoing some of those very same complaints that I hear on a weekly basis. So, Well, I think a lot comes down to why you watch the show. And there are many reasons to enjoy Game of Thrones. And there are many viewers, most viewers are going to have, you know, a little from column A, a little from column B. They'll be in the middle of the Venn diagram, as it were. But if you watch the show for the action or the dragons or the giants, then the last couple episodes probably you didn't like. If you watch the show for the characters and the performances, which I think are amazing, then there was a lot to love in last week's episode and also here. And so when... I mean, I would disagree completely, Alyssa, that, that you don't know who these characters are. But I think by the third season, you have a... I mean, even by the second episode, you had a really strong picture who many of our central characters are. I mean, I don't think there's any question who Cersei or Tywin or or the, even the, somebody like the Hound, who these people are. But yes, there's a lot going on. And uh, and if if you're counting on action beats to keep the story moving forward because the the characters you know there's a lot of them it can be difficult to to remember exactly what's going on all the time if you're relying on action beats then this episode didn't have them but if you're interested in character it's all over the place this week so i actually i really liked this episode and um also one of the things i want to mention is we talked about last week the the bear scene apparently the 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 bear fight, as it were, was going to be in this episode, and they moved it instead to last week's episode. And I'm so glad that they did because this this really close focus on first Tyrion's wedding and Sansa's, of course, Tyrion being the second son of Tywin, and then 
um, Melisandre and Gendry and Stannis, Stannis being the second son of his father, his older brother being Robert, and then across the narrow sea with Daenerys and the literal second sons. Of course, Sandor mm-hmm. Clegane, the Hound, he's also a second son. His, they talk, mention his older brother. Um, the only one who isn't is Sam, I believe, is not because he's, he, he's set to inherit and that's why he gets sent to the Wall. He's not, but his dad looks at him like the second son. He treats yeah. him like the second son because he's not proud of Sam. Yeah. So technically it makes sense that he is still bookending the episode because the episode does open up with the hound also but that's what i mean like everything felt connected and i totally agree if they had put the jamie and brianne scene in this episode i think this episode would have fallen apart and i don't see how it would fit jamie is not the second son is he no exactly so why would they even think about doing that but actually kate i love this episode love it my second favorite episode of the season so this is gonna be an interesting discussion Definitely. Alyssa, thoughts? Um, I actually didn't mind this episode, but I, I still think that um, I think that most I suspect that most people who are watching this series um, are probably can't necessarily tell you more than, like, say, five characters names. Um, I thought the I really enjoyed the wedding. Um, there was a lot of nice um, political snippery. It was like um Masterpiece theater with um, I the co- I, I wasn't really excited about some of the costuming. There's a lot of upholstery that was being used that was inappropriate. It looks heavy and hot. Um, but I I think um, you know some of the performances certainly by some of the older, more seasoned uh, cast members I think uh, is really compelling to watch. Um, I think that the turn in general in the series, uh, specifically this season, was sort of the the rehabil the weird rehabilitation of both um, Jamie and Cersei uh, is interesting. Um, the I I will say I was a little bit um, I'm kind of torn about what's going on with Joffrey this season because um, you know it's obvious he's um, just deranged but i don't know that they always have to put you know they've they've really taken many opportunities to really um put a point like make it very pointed that he's um so bananas you know by by killing sociopath yeah (laughs) um by killing people by you know threatening people and it's sort of like it's so almost over the top as to be cartoonish in a way that almost like makes it not especially threatening or menacing and so i thought that there was um, because no one takes him seriously, but he's clearly doing damage. So I just felt like they kind of undercut that that threat and that menace. Um, I don't know. It felt like there could have been some tweaking in that later scene with Tyrion and um, Sansa where they, like, when Shay shows up, like, because you're not really sure, like, you're not clear, like, exactly what time of the day it is. I don't know. There felt like there was some tension that kind of got deflated um, that could have, made him, you know, kind of made him menacing more real, you know, even though he just murdered somebody, what, two episodes ago? Yeah, I think it was last week. Yeah, you just can't take him seriously. Well, you know, the thing about the wedding scene, first of all, I love the wedding scene, but, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I liked it, but in that wedding scene, everyone was true to their characters, and we saw the best of the Lannisters. That is who the Lannisters are. 
And we got basically a performance from the actor that plays Joffrey, which is basically, I forget his name, sorry. Jack Gleason. Yes. He basically is Joffrey full on. Like, to the point where, you know, when he walks up and he takes away the stool away from <laughs> Tyrion just so he can mock him when he has to put on the cloak because they have this, like, cloaking tradition. I mean, little moments like that. I mean, that's the Joffrey that we've always, have always, always known. And I like the fact that in this scene, like, even Cersei, I mean, she's in super bitch mode. I mean, to the point where when she goes to converse with Marjorie, she basically tells her this big, long story just to end it by saying fuck off you know <laughs> like if you ever call me sister again i will strangle you in your sleep the thing about the lannisters is you don't like these people they're not people that you would want to spend time with you sure as hell would not want to marry into the family but they're great characters to absolutely hate and that's why i think i agree with you kate like i personally watched the show for the performances and for the politics and the dialogue and i'm not really interested in the action you know, it's great when a dragon pops up and we see a giant. But, you know, for me, the best moments of the entire series are always the smaller, quieter moments. And I think the same can be said for this episode. Well, I love that moment with Marjorie because you see her trying to handle Cersei much in the way that she has been handling Sansa. I mean, I believe that she does actually like Sansa. I mean, she's a very likable person, Sansa. She's very unthreatening as well. But when she says, we shall be sisters, and Cersei's like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I, I love that uh, Marjorie gets smacked down a little bit because we've seen a lot of Marjorie's success in her scheming and her, her attempts to manipulate the court. So it's good to see her come up against Cersei and realize that the same uh the same line is not going to work here i also love watching cersei with with uh loris a little bit later because theoretically right if if you're in love with your twin brother then getting married to somebody who has no interest in sleeping with you and who you have no interest in sleeping with i mean that seems like that should be a decent match but i thought that scene did a really good job just like a brief moment of showing that yes maybe on the outside you would think this is a, a decent arrangement for these two people but but they're not in the same league at all loris is great like the queen of thorns said he's really great at at pushing people off of horses with a pointy stick but he's not somebody who is a, is a match for cersei and and i thought that was was pretty great i also <laughs> I, I would disagree. I think that, um, Alyssa, I think that Joffrey holds a lot of menace. And I think, of course, a lot of that power comes from the, the power that everybody else puts into him, that gives him as the king. But um, I thought there was menace dripping off of off of uh, Tyrion in that confrontation at the wedding, at the, at the party or whatever. Uh, I really didn't know what was necessarily gonna happen even having read the books I, I thought they did a really good job of we've seen just how screwed up Joffrey is and we know that he already tried to have Tyrion killed so this kind of a public moment we also see Tyrion because he plays the drunk he's obviously not as drunk as he is pretending to be in that moment and we also see how Tywin is starting to lose control over Joffrey as well in that moment um, so mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought that there was a lot to really enjoy about about the wedding. 
Well, there's a lot of nuance in these scenes, especially the scenes that revolve around Tyrion and his awkward um, dilemma with Sansa and Shay. And just the way um, the director directs those actors and the way she would just capture one single look from Shay looking over at Tyrion. Like, I mean, one look could, could tell so much. It's like, I don't think in this episode we actually had Shay and Tyrion actually arguing for once. The director let the actors just perform, and physically they were able to tell a lot more without the dialogue, which would eat into the running time. But I thought it was—I thought it was just funny. I could not stop laughing when Tyrion starts getting drunk, and he's such a mess, and he's trying to wipe the wine off his face with the tablecloth, uh, and and when he actually spoke out and called Joffrey I forget what he called him but he basically threatened to uh, to chop off his like manhood I was just like holy shit like that was a oh no you didn't moment you know that's probably the first oh no you didn't moment of season three in which there was a lot of those moments back in season one I don't know I, I didn't know what was going to happen because the thing about this show is anyone can die I mean I always go back to Ned. I mean, Ned dies in season one. I thought Ned would be the central character of the of the show from start to finish, like in every single season. And they killed him off in season one. So for all I knew, I mean, Tyrion could have got his head chopped off in that scene. You know what I mean? So I was actually kind of scared. Time for the betting ceremony. There would be no betting ceremony. You respect for tradition, Uncle. Come, everyone. Pick her up and carry her to her wedding bed. Get rid of her gown. She won't be needing it any longer. Ladies, attend to my uncle. He's not heavy. There will be no bedding ceremony. There will be if I command it. Then you'll be fucking your own bride with a wooden cock. What did you say? What did you say? I believe we can dispense with the bedding, Your Grace. I'm sure Tyrion did not mean to threaten the king. <laughs> A bad joke, Your Grace. Made out of envy of your own royal manhood. Mine is so small. My poor wife won't even know I'm there. Your uncle is clearly quite drunk, Your Grace. I am. Guilty. Well, I, I think it's interesting that it worked for us so much, uh, Alyssa. When it didn't work for you, did do, did you connect more with one of the other main sequences, either at Dragonstone or across the Narrow Sea? Um, I, you know, I, I think the um, the stuff that's happening um at Dragonstone is sort of um interesting. I thought the the um scene with um Stannis and Davos was good. I like that they're trying that again there's this notion of um Stannis is kind of he's certainly um pardon the pun bewitched by um, <laughs> Melisandre but but you know he's really he's really kind of uh, captivated by her in so many ways but there's still something that's sort of nagging at him. Um, about that relationship and about her goals. Um, so I, I thought that was, um, I really liked that scene. And I, I thought the way that that scene was framed where, 
you know, you couldn't quite tell which man was behind bars at various points. I mean, I think they're both becoming, I think they're both starting to recognize that they're victims of uh, their circumstances and they need to figure out how to make the best of it. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I love that. Well, I love the whole entire episode, but I love that scene. I actually think that's probably the best scene in the episode. I, I, I First of all, I'm glad to see more of Sir Davos and Stannis, and I like their interaction. I totally agree. I was going to mention the framing of the shot. It reminds me of the movie like Manhunter, the way Michael Mann frames the prison sequence in that film, where it looks like both characters are behind bars. And you, I mean, I like the way he calls him out on the fact that he decides on this very specific moment, on this specific day to free him because he actually needs his help. And he's not willing to admit it, but deep down inside, he knows he needs his help. So that's a scene that tells me a lot about Stannis, a character who's been around for like ever, but I don't know much about him. And I don't know, it just, and I'm, when I say about him, and I'm not, I don't mean like his position in life, like who he's related to, but just him, a person. And I actually think he's actually a decent person. Like he might not make the best choices in life, but I think he makes the choices that he thinks he needs to make in order to save his people and his family and himself. Um, so I really like their sequence. And also that sequence, not not only does it provide us with some great uh acting and some great dialogue but it also gives us a bit of information because in that scene he tells us that he had a vision or he saw a, a huge war somewhere in the snow so i'm assuming that's something that's going to happen in the next few episodes maybe even the last episode of the season who knows but uh yeah i re totally love that scene i totally agree well, and I think there's one of the the things I enjoyed about that sequence. I would again, I also thought the direction there and the framing was was really interesting and fun. And thought it was also nice to see Davos get just a little bit of a win when he's reading the book at the beginning and he gets to the end of the sentence and he's so proud of himself. Those, you know, I, I enjoyed those little happy touches sprinkled throughout um, such a dark series. But I, I I enjoyed that conversation with Stannis and Davos when they're talking about. It, it reminded me of Battlestar Galactica. There's there's religion, and there's faith, and then there's landing on the home on, on the planet that is theoretically associated with the Garden of Eden of your people, and finding out that it's real and there really is magic that incorrect prophecies. It's one thing to believe in in a religion, and it's another to watch. Melisandre give birth to a shadow baby. At what point is it no longer? faith and i i thought that i thought that was great because you get a real sense of who stannis is there and davos as well because you get a sense that stannis wouldn't be believing her wouldn't be buying into her except that he's seen some stuff now and we've seen some of it as well that he just can't explain in another way so maybe he wishes he didn't believe in this lord of light because it's kind of freaking him out but what do you say when you've seen a vision in the flames? So he's seen the vision and he's, he's seen her perform her sort of like black magic or fire magic, whatever you call it. But, but he still doesn't believe that Gendry's blood is powerful. Like I think, well, he still I think doubts... he's not sure it's worth it. Sacrificing an innocent is worth it. Well, that's what I mean. And that, that's what I mean. But it tell, tells us a lot about his character because he's not willing to sacrifice an, an innocent. 
So, but mm -hmm. what I want to know is, is Davos going to continue to learn how to read? Because I was really getting like invested in his hooked on phonics reading lesson. So <laughs> now, now that they freed the man, I think he's just going to give up reading all the time. So that's kind of a shame. But I, th I, I want to see Shireen again. I could see the, I want to see the, uh, <laughs> the Westerosi equivalent of spot <laughs> or, uh, or, or a jump on pop or one of those. That'd be, that'd be fun. Uh, the, what did we think of the sex position this week? Was it as obtrusive as it has been in the past or what, what did it work for you guys? It never works for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll let Alyssa answer this question. I mean, it really always seems so, so gratuitous. Um, and uh, there's there's a certain, um, well, I, it feels like there's a real inequality with the sort of gratuitous nature of the nudity, too. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to story. And um, it's almost always women. Um, so, I don't know, it, it just, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't mean a lot to me. I don't think it adds anything, um, especially. Now, Kate, are you referring specifically to the scene featuring Danny taking a bath and getting out naked? Well, I was actually both that and Melisandre, because I would actually agree with you, uh, Alyssa, about the Melisandre scene. I mean, I see what they're going for, and they had that previous comment about... Uh, the lamb and the blood and not seeing the knife and all of that. I thought that, that tied in and made it a little bit more justified, but I actually would I'd say that for the Danny sequence, I thought that was really great because it takes, because it's her not being controlled by this convention of she needs to hide in the tub because what if this person sees her naked? I, I like that, that it's, it's her saying, uh, saying it doesn't matter you don't matter if you see me naked. That doesn't matter because I have the power here and I can do whatever I want. I'm into that more, honestly, if the dragons were close by. Because <laughs> if you just think about it from a practical perspective, I mean, nudity means you're 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 vulnerable, and it's not about sex. It's about you know your your belly is exposed, the place your your soft parts where you can easily be stabbed and killed, and you know. And there's and this shows there you know there's there's plenty of um, stabbing and murdering and mayhem that happens. So I, I just always think like like there's a there's a, a sexual component to the nudity that often is you know a part of it. But I just think there's a real practical point to it. Like when you you just don't want to expose yourself. You don't want to expose your neck and your and mm. your femoral arteries and your belly. Yeah, and I see that. But I think especially because the the other general had been so heavily sexualizing her, and yeah. you know earlier I thought that this was a nice counter to that the this notion of trying to con you know to control her as a sexual object for men and put her in that in that category and she I, I felt like this was more of a denial of that I do see absolutely where you're coming from though Alyssa I think but I don't think it's any I I think that she fell victim to the same sort of the same male gaze. She thought she was playing, um, you know, I think she can make the argument that she was trying to thwart that or subvert it in some way. I mean, but ultimately it still serves the same purpose. It's titillating. It's all about the way he responds to her. You know, she stands in his gaze. It's just kind of, I mean, I don't know. 
I, I think that um, it's an argument that people, I can certainly see why they're making it, but I don't fully agree with it. You see, the thing is, I I don't care if there's nudity on the TV show. I'm never bothered by the nudity, but I do agree it should at least be equal because it's like you said, a lot of times it's always the women who are naked. But the thing is, with the Danny scene, I just felt that she was playing him. Like, she knows that he wants to sleep with her and she can read it. She can read him. Like she understands that he's the kind of person where he's a player and he thinks that he's so charming and he's so good looking that he can just sort of like swoop, like, I don't know, sweep her off her feet and sleep with her type thing. So I think she's playing him. Um, so for me, it didn't, it worked. It didn't bug me, but also the Mila, the Melisandre scene with Gendry, uh, at the same time, they are having sex. Now, it could be argued that why wasn't he full naked, but that could be in the actor's contract. I don't know, because she took off her clothes. and Well, they had... we, s- we see both of them, like, waist up. Yeah, right, but the way it was shot and edited, there was, like, two specific shots where they would cut away right at the moment when she was pulling his pants below his, like, private parts. Mm-hmm. And so you can tell that the actor clearly did not want to be naked. It's probably in his contract. Because, I mean, in that scene, especially since she's dropping leeches on his body to suck out his blood, he's the one that should be completely naked. Because she needs him naked so she can get his blood using mm-hmm. these leeches, which is absolutely disgusting. And Kate... <laughs> That is two weeks in a row where a naked lady comes mm-hmm. into a room, pretends that she's going to seduce a man, and then something terrible happens to his penis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's different types, uh, different examples of, of using uh, sex to control men. And uh, But if, if you recall, the last week it was all completely staged and controlled by another man. So... Right, that's true. But But yeah, no, it's definitely very present in these two episodes. But you know, the thing is, this scene ends with her taking the three leeches and she drops it into like a bowl of fire. And I I think she calls out the name of Rob, Greyjoy, and Joffrey. Although I'm not sure which Greyjoy she called out. Balin Greyjoy, which is Theon's father. He's the king. Okay, okay. The one who's named himself the king of the Iron Islands. Get away! Get off me! Don't fight, don't fight. It won't take much. Why are you doing this? I told you, there's power in the blood of kings. And you have so much blood. No. No, 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 no. Not there! Not there! You can blame Sir Devos. He didn't believe in the power of King's blood. He wanted a demonstration. Please. Please, Your Grace. My Lord. Stop. 
usurper Balon Greyjoy. Usurper Joffrey Baratheon. So after that scene, we cut back to the wedding, and I think the first person we see is Joffrey. And I swear to God, I thought he was going to die in this episode. So I got <laughs> so excited. I'm like, holy shit. So this must mean that this guy is going to die. Joffrey's going to be the first to die. And he's. And I think I think the, the, the very next scene, he was actually talking to Sansa. So I was just I just got so excited, and he didn't die. So I was kind of upset by the end of the episode. Um, I have to tell you something, okay? So for weeks now, I've been sort of really hard on Sansa, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Kate and I have argued about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Kate, I am <laughs> so, so sorry. And I, I apologize to all the Game of Thrones listeners, and I apologize to Sansa. I had no clue she was 14 years old. She looks like she's 25. She's yeah. like, she looks like a giraffe. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not the only person that realized how long her neck is. She's so incredibly tall. So this whole entire time, I've been watching the show, and I'm sure they've mentioned it like maybe way back in season one, but I, I don't ever remember someone mentioning that she was 14. I, I thought Arya was 14. I thought she was like 17, 18. So this whole entire time, I'm like, what is wrong with her? I'm like, she's like, sh like why doesn't she run away? Why doesn't she fight back? She's only 14 years old. I blame the person that cast her in the role. What the <laughs> fuck? She looks like she's 20 years old. And what does this mean? Does this mean that like, like they expect people like like just the idea that someone's gonna sleep with a 14 year old even if she looks 20 years old like just no uh, i'm just totally creeped out now it, it, seriously i was watching the scene and because Tyrion asks her straight up he's like how old are you and she's like 14 i was like what 14 i'm like that that's not right that's not right we have we have a word for men that like to sleep with underage women here where i come from so i don't know what's going on in westeros and king's landing but that's just not cool the actress is 17 and so and and she's definitely matured in the past 2 years. It's it's an issue with this show and they did age up all of the characters from the book. They're even younger in the books, about 2 or 3 years younger. And and, and so and that you know some troubling issues there with things like this scene that we saw with 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 uh, Sansa and Tyrion but it's it's a real problem for them for the production of this show because the books don't pl take place over the same amount of time uh, as as the production of the, of the show and especially with Bran who's really you know he's going to start growing quickly and soon i would imagine but also Arya and also Sansa they're they're aging faster than their characters and that will present more and more problems for some of the storytelling they're really going to have to diverge i think because yeah you're right she does not look 14 well and, and like <laughs> i seriously feel bad but i mean come on like I, even 17 like is she 17 now or was she 17 when she started filming like she's 17 now wow okay she was born in 96 and in the book she's younger that's yeah. insane She's like 12. Oh, God. That's, so when, when Tyrion is saying, she is a child, I am not attracted to Sansa Shay, that, that, he's not kidding. But he is attracted to her. <laughs> like, that's the thing. I mean, to be honest, he is attracted to Sansa, even if she's 14 years old. So but He doesn't want to have sex with her. He well, just no, that's knows fine. that she's beautiful and she's very smart and, well, you know, she will make a wonderful wife for someone, but... I love the, oh, talking is not going to make you older. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Tyrion was amazing in this episode. <laughs> I love his line where he's like, he's talking to his um to to his dad, and he basically declares himself the god of tits and wine. <laughs> it's just the way. It's just his performance. Like he was just fantastic. I could not stop laughing at every single scene that featured Peter Dinklage in this in this episode. I I, I mean, he's just so great to watch. Period. Like, I mean, I can't think of one bad moment featuring his character so far in three seasons of this show. So, I mean, even when I look back at, like, Breaking Bad, which is my favorite show of all time, I'm sure I could pick at least one scene for Jesse or Walt that I didn't really like. But in this, like, in this case, this actor, he's solid. Him and Charles dance every single time they deliver. They're fantastic. Well, are there any other elements of the episode we want to talk about? We haven't talked about the Hound at all. We haven't talked about uh, that ending sequence. Um, well, let's talk about the Hound because the ending sequence is fantastic. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I like the Hound scene. It, it was, I like the fact that it opened up the show. We didn't spend too much time on Arya and the Hound. But I'm still confused about the Hound because this is a character who I am confused about. Like, I personally think that he's actually a good man beneath his scars and his burns and his bad breath and his bad hair and, and his dirty <laughs> clothes. He's actually probably, like, somewhat of a good person. But, I mean, he's the guy that killed Arya's friend, but then he saved Sansa's life. He was once loyal to Joffrey. Then he wasn't loyal to him. Like, he's always switching sides. So I'm just, like, thinking, okay, the Hound is out for the Hound. Like, he's all about him. And he doesn't really give a shit about anybody else. But in this scene, it's a sweet scene. It actually makes me think that he actually cares about her, or her well-being, at least. Because he 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 kind of plays it like, oh, well, I'm going to get a reward for returning you back to Rob Stark. But I think he actually cares about her. So... I'm a little confused about his character because he's a little too inconsistent for me. Alyssa, any thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, he does... There is, like, a certain kind of... Um, I was trying to think. There, There's a certain, like, kind of uh, weird, wacky, like, hey, aren't we two mismatched people on the road together? Uh, about their story that, um, I don't know, it doesn't... Uh, I'm not seeing a ton of advancement, so I either would like some like deeper, more interesting character interactions or um, something to happen. So the other thing that I think is um, can be problematic is that because there are so many characters, like sometimes they have to catch up and tell each other things like that we already know. So uh, that's always, I mean, and that's hard. That is, happens on lots of shows where they have larger casts and there's lots of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, I'm not deeply invested in, um, that story. And it's one of my, it's one of the stories I edit out in when I watch it. <laughs> well, the, I think with the hound, as far as his feelings towards Arya, I think he, well, of course we've, you know, we, we know about his brother, the mountain, who right. is the one who's guard his face and is, a raping bastard um and is all sorts of terrible and horrible and so i think uh he sees an aria who because of course she's smaller and scrappier and he's huge the hound is huge but compared to his brother he's tiny and so i think he identifies with that i think he appreciates that element of her and i think he respects her for wanting to kill him because because he killed her friend so i think he, i think he just likes her i think he just 
you know, appreciates her, her personality. Uh, but, but yeah, the only reason we see him break from the, the Lannisters is because of that wildfire. Cause he can't, they tell him to go charge into the fire and he can't do it. And that's what breaks him. Because he has a fear of fire. Yeah, because of having his face burned as a child by right, his but, but, but terrible brother. <laughs> that's the thing, because last week, or was it the week before, he has a fight in which they use fire, and he didn't seem like he was scared. Oh, see, I thought he did. Really? Because I, yeah. didn't, I didn't think the actor played it like he was actually terrified. I think it was yeah. hard to see what was going on. Yeah, so that's why I was like, 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 the, um, like you know, it, it's not so much me criticizing a performance of a writing. It's just me saying I'm a little confused because it does seem inconsistent. And this is what I mean. This is one of those characters where I think I need to go back and rewatch the season or maybe oh, second season. Awful. I well, but you know what? I just want to quickly say uh, what I do like is I like the fact that her situation in some strange way parallels her sister because Sansa is stuck with Tyrion and she's going to get married to him, which technically is the best situation or the best person that she can be paired up with because clearly he's at least treating her well, right? Like he didn't try to sleep with her. He talks to her, he respects her. And in this case, the Hound's right. Like he's probably the best person that she can travel with right now. Like he's not going to harm her. He's not, well, I guess he's sort of using her. But yeah, so it's just interesting to see how the two sisters are in somewhat of a similar situation where they're finally paired with someone that will not harm them. Yeah, I think there's there's very there's been very little with the Hound through the series. I don't think you need to go back and rewatch. There's just a couple moments in the first season before the shit hits the fan in King's Landing at the the tournament where where Sansa gets the rose from from uh the from Loras. Yeah. That's where we get the backstory about him. And that's pretty much it. They mention his brother all the time, but they don't even really say the mountain. They don't you know, they don't go into it. And they either trust that you'll remember or figure it doesn't matter that you don't. Okay. And and so I don't I don't think you need to feel like there's this whole thing that you're missing. And he's not a point of view character in the books. So it's not like there's all this other information that I'm bringing to it. That you know, outside of the the, the TV series, you know, I don't really have a lot more information about the Hound than what we see in the show. But I, I do think it'll be interesting to see, cause, because they always say he's the Hound, he's the dog, and because he's loyal. And so now that he his allegiance is solely to himself as opposed to to the 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 Lannisters, I think it will be interesting to see what happens with mm-hmm. with that character and to see kind of get a sense of who he is when he doesn't have, oh, I'm just doing this because I was commanded as an excuse. Okay. Well, I just want to quickly talk about Danny once again. I know we talked about her a bit, but I, um, I see the thing about Danny is I really like her character, but I just feel like they, I don't know, like every single scene so far with her in season three has been basically her trying to negotiate. And I'm just like, I want to see more of Danny. Uh, but I, I do like her in every single scene this week. Like, I like the way – I like her interaction with, with the uh, the second sons, right, the three guys. Uh, that first guy, by the way, he's such a bastard. Like, what a charming that guy is, man. He's slapping her ass. He's, like, sticking out his tongue. He's like, my cock this, my cock this. Let's talk about my cock. Like, I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, that guy needed to die. <laughs> so it was like, thank God he died. But this new guy, Dario, which is funny because, Kate, I sent you a message earlier on Facebook, and he, he's actually part of, like, a hip-hop group, so he's, like, a rapper, and he looks like an underwear model, and so they cast this guy to play Dario. 
Um, I gotta admit, I'm actually kind of interested in this character. I, I like how he says, I'm actually the simplest man you'll ever meet. And I don't know, I just kind of like, there's just something about his character. I think I'm actually going to really dig this guy. So I'm kind of excited to see more of him. And I like the way he just like, at the end of it, at the end of his meeting with Danny, he just kind of kneels down and he put, he says like, my sword is yours, my life is yours, my heart is yours. So I don't know. I, I, I really do like every single scene with Danny this week. I still think Jorah is a mess. He doesn't do anything, but I kind of want to see her get past the whole negotiation stage and kind of march to battle or do something or I don't know, something, something else. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that. They definitely, it, it's the old, and then they walk part of the story. <laughs> You know, but they, you know, th th which is why they have five minutes with Bran every couple weeks because they're walking. And so they're not showing us that. Uh, and so if you want to move these pieces to all the different places that they need to be, which is the kind of storytelling Game of Thrones does, then there are going to be, and then she negotiates. <laughs> Danny walks negotiation time. Uh, <laughs> negotiate. And then uh, Bran, it's like walk, dream, walk, vision, walk, dream. Arya, it's like walk, get kidnapped. Walk, get kidnapped. Walk, stab get someone. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, God, like Theon, walk, get tortured. Escape, get tortured. Try yeah. to escape, get tortured. <laughs> nice to not see Theon this week. I think we can all agree. Uh, but the last thing we should talk about is that ending. And uh, yeah, the, the the setup for the the dragon glass dagger was a little. Um, on the nose, I think that was last week where they said, oh, by the way, I found this at the beginning of the season and haven't mentioned it until now. It wasn't last week, though. Oh, was it two weeks ago? It was two or three weeks ago, but they've been playing it at the start when they had their little montage previously, oh. right? But okay. yeah, it was two or three episodes ago. Okay. Well, what did we think of that sequence and then uh, the, 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 the last moments? Um, I thought it looked... I mean, it was creepy and it looked good, um, but then did he? It seemed like he dropped his um, thing and ran away. Like that was the part. I was like, that's something that works. Don't drop that. Well, th that's the thing. I, I I agree. Like, so he used a dragon glass knife. He stabbed a White Walker. Now I don't know if he dropped it or if it just exploded, much like the White Walker. I was a little confused. No, it it hit the ground. Like oh, okay. I was watching that and I was like, what? Don't lose that stuff. Okay, but this I, is where I watch Game of Thrones like it's an RPG, and I'm like, all right, did you use up all the power in the whatever, and it's your enchanted magic sword, and so you're you've lost it now. That's how that's how that scene worked a little bit for me towards the end. Yeah, I didn't understand. Recharge that mana bar. Yeah, but I agree, Kate. It was a little on the nose. I mean, we knew he was going to use his dragon glass knife, but. I'm a huge fan of horror films, and I love the way it looked. I love the way it was directed. I love the camera movement. I love the cinematography. I love the ravens. I love the way they're running, and there's a flock of ravens behind them. Um, I love the sound design. Um, I I just like the way it was executed. I mean, some people are complaining about the CGI on the White Walker. We've seen the White Walker previously on the show. I didn't really have a problem with it, and I like the fact that Sam actually works up the courage to save her life and the baby's life. Um, I like his character. He's one of the truly good people in the show. And I think we need characters like him. Well, and I like that you don't really get a sense that he's going to fight her, <laughs> fight him, you know, because 
He's just kind of charging. He doesn't have a plan. And probably that's not going to work because the guy just touched your sword and exploded it. And, and so there's no real sense. You know, it took it took him trying to save or needing to save Gilly uh, in order to, for, for him to be successful. And I think that's a nice bit of character. And is it cliche maybe that he summons the courage at the right time? But it, it it really worked for me, and I that's a character I do like a lot, and I agree, Ricky. We need some just holy good people on this show. Yeah, well, and especially in a scene like that, that, I mean, that scene is all about terror. Like, you're supposed to feel frightened watching Sam, so you got to like that character. Like, honestly, I thought of the whole entire episode, it's not my favorite scene, but it's the best executed like i mean her direction once again is almost flawless throughout this whole entire episode like even last week i hated the script from last week's episode but i loved her direction i think she did the best she could with the screenplay i want to say one more thing there was a one fantastic um monologue slash delivery slash speech by lady olena when she tries to explain <laughs> who's related to who and how they're related, and I could not stop laughing. When you marry the king, Joffrey's mother will become his sister-in-law, and your son will be Loris's nephew, grandson. I'm not sure. But your brother will become your father-in-law. That much is beyond dispute. Oh my god, that was that was pretty great. <laughs> Props to her for keeping that straight. I can't imagine trying to memorize that. Yeah, it was fantastic. Well, do we have any final thoughts on the episode? With anything we're looking forward to for the rest of the se- season? Alyssa? Two weeks. Well, there's only two episodes left, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, something should happen soon. That'll be <laughs> Fair enough. I'm actually surprised we had a wedding this week. I thought the wedding would be saved for like the second last episode. But there's a lot of weddings. It sounds like that are a brewing. There's four, so this is the first of four. So yeah, so I, I it's I, like I, too many proms. You just got to keep moving. Well, the thing is, I, last week I was joking around about the weddings and how there's so many weddings. I was like, look, I don't really want to see a wedding episode, and we get a wedding episode, and I couldn't stop laughing. So <laughs> so I enjoyed it. Look, I I think. The episode had a lot of nice, sweet moments. It had a lot of sour moments. I think it was well-directed. I think it's a strong episode. And it didn't feature Jon Snow, Jamie, nor Brienne, nor Theon Greyjoy. Like, there's so many characters that were missing, but I think that's what we need. I would like to see them focus the episodes more on lesser characters. And so, yeah, I'm kind of excited for the next two episodes. I think we're taking a week off next week, right? Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I don't, I really I still have no clue where this season is headed. Like in terms of like wh- how are they going to what's going to happen in the last episode of season 3? I have no idea. It can't be an uh, maybe maybe it could be a wedding. I don't know. We'll see. You know. I mean mathematically I it sounds like there has to be a what at least one more. Yeah, you think they're going to fit two weddings in season 3 and two weddings in season 4? I don't know. You have two episodes. You could do two weddings. Yeah, but there are three. Yeah, there's three but more. But they, they could do three weddings in, in two episodes if they want. Depends on how much time you give them. It's just like June. 
just have a wedding every weekend. They can do. They can do yeah. a wedding. They can do a wedding two weeks in a row. And they should all hire violinists. Everyone, just like every June wedding. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Alyssa, so much for coming on and talking with us. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find us at uh, BigRedPodcast.com or you can find us in iTunes. And next week we'll have Memorial Day off, much like the series itself. So we'll be back in two weeks to talk about the next episode, The Reigns of Castamere. Again, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, this time directed by David Nutter. And that's the, that'll be the penultimate episode. So I'm sure we'll have much to say. And taking out the music this time, we have We Run Them by Ed Screen, who we know is Dario now, and featuring Graziella and Dublidge. And I probably n- pronounced at least half of that wrong. But I hope you enjoyed the music. He, and our <laughs> listeners should check out the music video because you'll see Dario the way he looks normally in real life because that isn't his real hair. No, <laughs> cer- cer- certainly not. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. <gasps> no screaming or she dies. What do you want? You. Let her go. Don't scream, lovely girl. You were sent here to kill me. (laughs) So why haven't you? I don't want to. What do your captains have to say about that? You should ask them. Why? We had philosophical differences. Over what? Your beauty. It meant more to me than it did to them. You're a strange man. I'm the simplest man you'll ever meet. I only do what I want to do. Well, then this is supposed to impress me. Yes. Why would I trust a man who murders his comrades? They ordered me to murder you. I told them I preferred not to. They told me I had no choice. I told them I am Dario Nahas. I always have a choice. They drew their swords, and I drew mine. Smash the concrete pound of pavement, run them through, we'll get that chasing, facing bones, they can keep racing, no mistaking, we overtaking, underrated, understated, bust up the chain in London, sick, big skipping numbers, elders younger, so much hunger, it's a wonder we ain't run under, adrenaline's up in a city, work hard till we better than we ever been, we bracing, no wheezing, it's freezing, but we eating, it's that season, no cheating, no easing, just be ways of beating, stop speaking, focus on the breathing, easy, that's cool, we peaking, run them through, don't touch the flex, move with a hot step, it's all up without that, it's nothing left Patience, dedication, respect We move blessed I move right Look too tight We're too nice No egos, just the people Ain't heroes, we just people We all equal Till we hit the track and that's that Then we gone like So to the finish, I know the feeling When it's over the finish, that's so unique Tracks on beat or tracks on feet Ask Charlie Brown, we right